As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership, a special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by Equity Bank. Today, we have Clint Whitney on the show. He's the CEO and president of Superior Tool Service, or STS. It's headquartered here in Wichita, Kansas. They began operations in 1987. Today, they serve more than 400 machine shops worldwide, utilizing state-of-the-art CNC tool grinding machines that manufacture precision-quality cutting tools. I love this story about Clint. Again, it's one of those kind of um, stories that breaks all of those uh, preconceived notions about success. Uh, Clint is from Clearwater. He began grinding tools for STS in 1998. He owns the company with his wife, Christy, and his partner, Buddy Harrison. All three work inside the company. And Clint uses his background of mechanic schooling, his apprenticeship of grinding, as a catalyst to grow the company and seek out new services and products they offer. Since his start of running the company back in October 2014, they have added STS Supply, a distribution company, and STS Coatings, a PVD coating center, and STS Firearms, a fire modification company. With this expanded growth, they have doubled their number of employees in sales. And what I love about Clint, again, it breaks those preconceived notions about, hey, you got to have a degree, you got to have a certain skill. Clint is the epitome of tenacity, which if anything, if you listen to this show, that is the number one element of striving for success and significance. Uh, it's the tenacity. That part is a must. And Clint has it in spades. And I know that his tenacity and his belief of constant learning, this curiosity, which I don't know how you teach somebody or not, but he is insatiably curious. And his idea that he knows he has to push himself out of the comfort zone, all of those things, tenacity, constant learning, desire for constant learning, and pushing himself and others out of their comfort zone, that's the recipe for success and significance. It's a theme we hear time and time again on this show, uh, and you'll get this from this interview. Great conversation with Clint. You're going to like him just like I did. And uh, I'm so honored to have him on the show. You can visit Clint's website, superiortoolservice.com, for more information about his company and him. Again, this show is brought to you by Equity Bank. 
Equity Bank is a team. It's a bank that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch Equity Bank grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest, and I'm honored to have them as a sponsor of this show. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. Clearly, the team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Clint Whitney, the CEO and president of Superior Tool Service. Clint, man, I'm so glad to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm curious about you. I, I, I heard nothing about you. I did a little research last night about you and your business as much as I could, but are you from here? Yeah, I was born in Wichita. And, and went to school here? Where'd you go? I went to Clearwater High School. Clearwater, okay. Yes. Yeah, so did you grow up in, a, in the small town of Clearwater? or where Yeah, it? we lived in Oklahoma up until about seventh grade and then uh, seventh grade to uh, graduating in Clearwater. Yeah. And my whole family's from Clearwater. I always ask people, you know, what was the, and it's, hard, it's always fun to go back, what was the dream here, you know, the 18 year old Clint graduated from Clearwater High School. What was the dream? Uh, be a mechanic. Yeah. Um, yeah, my whole goal was to be. Either an NHRA or NASCAR mechanic. Oh, yeah, NASCAR mechanic. That was my goal. Um, Also joined the military when I was a junior in high school and was a tank turret mechanic. Okay. And so I just loved working on figuring things out, rebuilding it, fixing things. You're a gearhead. Yeah, gearhead. So um, I have a best friend. His his family was all working on cars, restoring cars. So that's where I learned it all from. And uh, so I really got into working on things. And my goal was to be a mechanic. And so I went out of school, went to tech school, Votech here in Wichita and, uh, became a mechanic, worked at some small shops and then I ended up working for Davis Moore. And so you made it to Davis Moore and you're like, Hey, I've arrived. Or what was it? There was like, okay, what's next? What was, what was your mindset then? So I started working there and, um, I think I was working on Oldsmobiles back in the day and, uh, they had an opening for a Dodge electrical technician. So that was kind of like a step up. You know, you're learning the troubleshooting, all the electronics or whatever's going on with the car. And uh, so I was going there, and, and some of my friends started going, you know, to the aircraft plants. Okay. And my whole family's worked Boeing, Cessna, Learjet, and uh, nothing wrong with those jobs or anything, but they all just tried to steer me, don't go to the plants. You know, we can get you a job, but try to do something different, you know. My whole family all tried to steer me away. Why? Why Why was that? And, you know, and I don't know. And I always, it always resonated with me that I don't know if they were always just not happy there or they just wanted to see me do something different. Yeah. I mean, all of them worked at different ones, but all of them like, go do something else. So Yeah, it's such, it's such a volatile industry, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in the aviation industry and it's, when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's horrible. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I, I think it was the fear of the, you know, that was, I think they had, it was a big, um, uh, shut down around mm-hmm. early 90s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I graduated yeah. 95. So yeah. that might have been kind of the play into it where they saw that I had a passion for working on turning wrenches and stuff. I'm right. not 100% sure. I think my mom wanted me to be a bricklayer as well. So <laughs> she was really upset when I didn't go into masonry. So. Wow. But uh, doing that and, you know, a lot of my friends started leaving turning wrenches and going to the plants and you know, when you're someone that works here in Wichita and you really try to keep your employees and not to lose them to the, the bigger, you know, back then it was Boeing and mm-hmm. now Spirit. So you really try to keep them and 
you know, the whole thing, you're not a number here. Yeah. But, you know, you got to pay the bills. So people go and, and, uh, it just really worked with me that it, it was a struggle. You're, yeah. You were, you were, I, I'm sensing you were drawn to, cause you know, when the whole mass is going, you're like, well, maybe am I missing out? Yes, I exactly. Missing, right? Yeah. But you decided to stay, right? I, I, mean, I decided to stay and, uh, you know, you're having to buy all your tools, you know, you're right. working on a flag hour, trying to get things going. And there's a whole system and the way the whole system works. And I kind of figured out how the, the people that are there that longer than me, how they were doing the system, kind of work around the system to get the better cars. It's going to pay your bills easier mm-hmm. on the flag hours and stuff. Started rubbing some of the uh, old timers there Yeah, a little bit the wrong way. Here's a 20 year old kid that's <laughs> figured it out and so I did that and I I, mean, I truly loved it they sent me up to schools and worked on all that and then I you know there's a big ebb and flow it's busy it's slow it's yeah. busy and slow with the seasons and your bills stay the same so, yeah right and you got all these tools you got to pay for and oh, stuff man. And so one day I was just I think it was around a holiday I was kind of whining <laughs> and I need to find something else and a guy I knew uh, is actually a stepbrother. He was working for this place uh, called Superior Tool Service. And he's like, hey, you know, we grind tools. You, you ought to try this out. You're not, you know, I was always dirty. Yeah. And he's like, I wash my hands. I go home at the end of the day. It's, it's a pretty great job. Oh, I was scared of machinery. Didn't, I didn't even like turning rotors on a, or the brake drums on a right. vehicle. So I go uh, go and check it out and look at it and think it looked like something I could do and so I met the owner, and he's like, well, yeah, do you have no experience, so you're going to have to take about a $4 an hour pay cut. Oh, man. You know, to come here and work here. So thought about it for a while, but there was some overtime that was incentive, and so I decided to do it. And uh, Let me stop you there because you said you thought about it. What was going through your head? Because to, to, to take, uh, and I don't know what you were making, but I think $4 an hour cut was probably a pretty big percentage of what you were making before right i mean that's a big chunk yeah yeah i think i was i think i was around like 11 or 12 dollars yeah so okay. so you're taking a 25 percent pay cut yeah. you know what i mean yeah and okay wow okay so that's what i'm that's what i'm curious about is like what what made you say yes or what was drawing you to take this despite this huge pay cut i what i saw is that it was really geared towards the raises or as much as you learned you know, they had all the machinery laid out. If you learn how to do this procedure, you make X amount. You learn this one. Everything was basically a dollar raise. The more, the more stuff you learn. So I was in control of that. So you saw the pen, you saw the potential. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a smaller shop. I, mean, I think there was seven people that worked there. And I was, and I think at the time the car lot that I worked for had three hundred. So it was stepping way back, going into a smaller place, but felt more in control yeah. of what I can do. And not as much politics or anyone yeah. deciding what I can do. Right. You, you felt you had a little more control of your destiny. Did you see something in the culture and in the leaders of the people that were working there and even the owner? Did you see they something? Seemed, yeah, they, they showed like they as long as you're there willing to learn, they'll, they'll teach you. And um, But the flip side to that is, is if you start learning faster than the other people there, that causes issues. And so yeah. fought a lot of that because I started, I mean, I treated that, like I've told everybody, I treated that as my college. I I studied and studied and studied what we did. Yeah. 
And tool grinding is, is, is basically a science and an art. Yeah. And two of my, well, and then it goes into philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Because um, my, I loved, in high school, I loved art class. I love shop class. And this is, and it seemed like right when I walked in that it just reminded me of those two classes. Yeah. It's that creativity bug. It's that, that hands on, I do this, that changes. I do this. It molds to this. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. It just really felt like that. I was Uh like, man, I'm kind of back, you know, in Mr. Johnson's art class. (laughs) Right. You know, listening to the music I wanted to listen to while we ground tools and, and learned and, and you know, always have had a passion for learning, so just doing that. And so I just started chipping away at it and started getting raises right away. And then there was, it was a small shop, so some work would come in, and some people didn't feel comfortable doing it. So I'd, and you I'll, said, I'll, I'll do, do it. it. I'll do it. So I remember the first big step was sizing a reamer within one-tenth tolerance. Wow. So, you know, I was like, I'll do it. And there was three of them, so I went and did them, and probably lost a lot of money on the job because uh, it took me a while, but I got it. Went into the owner of the company, showed him. He's like, wow, all right, well, you could start doing this step. So there was another raise. And, yeah. And the whole goal is, you know, you're doing this is all manual machining. Conventional grinding is what it's called. So yeah. you're using um, machines from the 50, 40s, 50s, 60s, and you're hand grinding and setting all these up and grinding tools. But over in the corner is this brand new CNC machine. Right. All computerized. Yeah, all computerized. So the goal was, and I didn't, when I first walked in the door, didn't even. You're old school. I don't want to mess with yeah, that Yeah, I don't want to mess with it. Scared of it. Didn't know. Mm-hmm. But as I kept chipping away everything, that was like kind of the last thing to to go to. So. Then you finally did. Okay. So when you, when you decided to cross that line and push yourself out of that comfort zone and break all those. Okay, I'm going to go. What what pushed you? Was it a job necessity or was it just, okay, I need to push myself? What was it? It's actually a weird thing. It was, uh, was there on a Saturday working overtime, and I was actually kind of just screwing off. I was talking to the <laughs> owner as he was working. Yeah. Uh, and he kept – something was bothering him. I didn't even know what was going on, but the operator of that machine didn't show up that day. The CNC guy didn't yeah, show up. Yeah, he didn't show up, and he and we only had one. There was only one guy that knew it. The owner didn't know it. Oh, man. And uh, so he was really stressing, and he's like, hey, don't you know computers? I was like, oh, yeah, I've keyboarded every year, and I could in school, and but I don't know that machine. He's like, Monday, you're going to start training on it. <laughs> so we started training on it, and that operator didn't set too well with him. You know, it felt like somebody was after yeah. his job, and he was comfortable that he was the only one in the company who knew that. So, and that taught me a big lesson right there. If you ever own something, try to be able to know how to do everything in that shop. Yeah. Cause you're, you're so reliant. I mean, without him. Yeah. That that's, it's crazy, right? Yes. I mean, you're putting everything, all your eggs in one basket and then, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I love this. I'm just fascinated by this story because it, it highlights so many things that I wish all of us would know. I mean, and I'm seeing it in you, and I don't know if you've marinated on it, resonated on it, and looked back. But the fact that you know your success, as as you can see, this the success uh, coming your way because of a couple of things. One, um, you had a teachable spirit. Two, you um, recognize when an opportunity came your way. Maybe you didn't then, but I think now, you know what I mean. You're yes. willing, you were willing to go through that door. Yes. 
right? Yeah. And every time you've gone through a door, two or three others are presented themselves, right? I mean, yeah, you can, exactly. When I start yeah. looking at this pattern, even up to this point, and we haven't even got to the point where now you're you're running superior tools, but yeah, you see what I'm saying? And like this guy and that CNC guy is a perfect example of what I see too often in people's like. We think our success is based on our talent. Okay, I'm known as the CNC guy, and therefore I'm going to be the best at it, which is great. Be technically and tactically proficient, but then he held it. He made the mistake by holding it close to his exactly. chest. He would he would be so far far better served. And this is the type of guy you are. I can already tell. Is I'm going to teach everyone else how to do this CNC machine, right? Yeah, because if you try to control it, you're going to be only in control one or two machines. Exactly. You're not going to be able to control the department of of twenty of them. Right. Right. So the, that whole protectionism, I've seen so many people, they'll stay in that small little circle. They're kind of like a, an animal that's on a chain. Yeah. They can only go out so far because right. they want to protect that little area. And they're actually holding the business back. They're holding themselves back. Um, they think they've become um, indispensable yep. when they actually haven't. They've, they've, they've put themselves in a corner where – you're useless to me. Exactly. Because all you're good at is this. And so when the next CNC machine comes out or the next new technology comes out, they're toast. Yep. Yep. Right? You have a shelf life when you're that way. Yep. Big time shelf life. Yeah. What a great lesson, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, cool. I I just wanted to, I wanted to point that out. I'm I'm still fascinated. So you're sitting there and I I can imagine from a mindset, how old are you now? What is the time frame? So you're 18 Um, from graduating to what, how old are we now here? I'm probably... 21. So in a three to four year time span, what is the mindset? What is the confidence like? What are the limiting beliefs? What are the doubts? Where have you come from 18 to 21 at this point? Are you getting more confident at this point? Yeah, I was pretty confident back then. Definitely. I think I got less confident over the years, but I was was pretty confident um, to do it. And I I always love the, you know, trying to figure things out on it. Yeah, yeah. and I and it, it was again. I got to go in there and be in control of learning uh, this whole new thing. And um, like I said, it didn't set well with that guy. So oh, I could imagine. And training for a little bit, he he turned us two weeks in. No kidding. And one day I was coming out of the break room, and the two owners, or the husband and wife, were standing there. And they're like, "You ready?" <laughs> and I was like, "For what?" And they're like, "He turned us two weeks in. So in two weeks, you're by yourself." And what, like, what okay. were you thinking? Were you okay or were you nervous? What was I was it? super nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like everything that ran through that shop ran through, uh, for the CNCs anyway, went through that one machine. And now it's all going to be on me. So I was very, very nervous. I mean, I think the night before I was really sick when I was going to be by myself. <laughs> but I also enjoyed it. I, I was also – you were, yeah, yeah, right? I yeah. Mean, and I think that's the lesson. I mean – Anybody who achieves anything of significance, right? That fear, that uncertainty, that gnawing, it never goes away. No, ever. No, ever. No. And and the key is the moment you can realize, number one, that it never goes away, that all of us feel it, everybody. Um, that's the edge of living though. Right? Exactly. And and that and when you work through it, that's when something significant happens, right? And so yes. it's almost like you start for me anyway, uh, I, I start and I still do try to listen to that as this is a barometer of probably what I should be doing, right? It's a blessing. Right? Exactly. Right? It is. Yeah. It really is. That's great, man. So, t- okay. So tell me more. How, how did it, how did it uh, manifest itself from there? So we, uh, I just started going at it and figuring it out. So there was basically that year of me 
just working, trying to figure it out all on my own, running things, picking it up, going, and um, meeting, talking to people. You know, there's obviously other shops. We couldn't really talk to our competitors, but the factories, you know, the, the Cessnas and the Spirits, they have the same machines. Met a couple guys, started talking to them, trying to learn from them. There was a great guy out at Cessna. Very, very knowledgeable. So you're, he, just, you're just networking here in network, town, all definitely. like a little CNC network. Exactly, <laughs> yep. Try to ping ideas off of them. And mm-hmm. They were like, hey, call me if you have any questions. And So going with that. And then also working with the factory, calling them up, asking them questions. They really couldn't help me with the grinding aspect of it, but anything on the machine side, they could help me with it. So yeah. went along on that. And, um, and then what really kind of pushed it over was it broke. The machine broke. And the factory couldn't get to us for like two weeks. Okay. So me knowing how to work on stuff, I started working on other things in the machine shop. The owner was like, don't touch the machine. You know, Don't touch is, the CNC don't machine. Don't touch the CNC machine. This is a quarter million dollar machine. It's under warranty. Don't touch it. So I just go, like, we had a saw that was real noisy. So I took it all apart, rebuilt it, uh, started working on some other things. And I started r- running out of stuff. And a couple of the other employees started getting a little chippy about me being there on the clock and not having anything to do. And I, was, <laughs> I was trying to help them out, but it wasn't a whole bunch of work at the time. So I saw it as a part that I'm going to have to go home until they get here. So I went and begged the owner, just let me, let me work on it. I know how to work on cars. It's a car. Just let me work on it. <laughs> He's no, no, no. And finally started seeing the orders pile up and there's really no end in sight for a couple of weeks. So he's like, all right, I'll let you do it. So I'll never forget this. I And he's told me he'll never forget it, that I'm sitting there and I pull out the boards. I have wiring everywhere. And he walks around the corner, turns ghost white. Oh, he's just freaking. Just, he couldn't believe it. And I said, it's fine. <laughs> just go away. <laughs> so he instantly just left. He didn't want to see this. And, oh, man. And I found out that what happened is from when they they installed the machine, they set it up for in the transformer at 220 volts. Well, we had 208 volts coming in the shop. So I started checking voltage downstream on some other boards, and it wasn't right. So I redid the transformer. The machine just started working right then and there. Oh, my God, dude. And this was a problem that we were fighting. That The factory was out like three or four times trying to figure out. And they couldn't figure it they out. They couldn't figure and it out. And you figured it out. Yeah. I love, love that story. That's amazing, <laughs> man. So... That got me into, now I also worked on the machines. So um, that really helped our company grow, that we weren't always relying on them. We would fix them ourselves. And so I've, and everyone that I've done that with, I've tried to teach. If they, yeah. if they have that mechanical sense, we're always going to be dependent on ourselves. So let's work on them. Let's figure it out. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks 
by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. That is a great story, man. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, there's so many inherit. I think you see them, and you know them as you've resonated on that story. That really is kind of. It sounds like that is the pivotal moment, right? Yes, that was the pivotal moment. Yep, that was a pivotal moment for showing that I'm not just going to go give up, or mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to figure out whatever it takes. If this is hurting the company, we we got to. You can't always be relying on someone to help you. So. And the fact that you're willing to teach, and you understood, you had the wherewithal. Look, you know, it's spreading this knowledge around, right? Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I'm not one to hoard 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 it, it, right? Yeah. What did the What did the owner think when you got it fixed? I mean, what was his reaction when you got it working? And how long did it take, by the way? How long did it take from when when he saw you with all the the vomit of wires all over the place? (laughs) What did What? How long did it take? I think it was two days. Two days. Yep. And what was his reaction when he was ecstatic? He, he was, was just yeah. like, "Holy cow!" Yep. I mean, he he was calling the factory. You know, he was mad at them. Why couldn't they figure this out? And the, the owner, the owner, of the, the maker of the machine. Yes. Yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. factory of the machine. So mm-hmm. um, he called them up and was pretty upset with them about here's this guy, you yeah. know, kid, basically figuring it out. And they didn't, so. Do you think that was the moment where the owner, I mean, if if we had to ask him, is he still with us, the the old owner, that that guy? Is yes, he still, he's still with us, yeah. Do you, are you still have a relationship with him? Or, Not really. Really? If I asked him, would he say that that was the kind of the moment that he saw that maybe you could be in the position you're in now? Or what would you, what would you say? Yeah, there's that one, and then there's another one coming up that. Okay, let's that, go. That this, I'm, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> So, yeah, then we started growing it. We uh, bought another CNC that same year, and then uh, and then we bought – we just started adding them on when we could. And uh, then what I did is we – so all we did was regrind tools. So mm-hmm. there's other people that made them, or, you know, in Israel or in Rogers, Arkansas, wherever they're making them, those manufacturers are making them. We resharpened them after they were dull. So that's all we did. Well, I kept studying those, and then I would call out to the people that used them, and I was trying to figure out what, why, why are they breaking here? Why are they wearing here? How much life are you getting? So I kept trying to really figure out that, and I was reading every break, every lunch. All I did was read trade magazines. Wow, you just poured uh, yourself into yeah, it. Yeah, just constantly. And So then I just tried to, why can't we make these stuff? <laughs> and... Now I was like, no, we, we can't do that. They're made on the same machines. Let's, so I kept trying to push him. Well, then one day um, a distributor in town, he came in, and it was needing us to modify something. And he's like, this is mid-2000s. And he goes, composites is going to be a big deal. You need to get on. There's like only one manufacturer in the world making composite cutting tools. So I really, so I was like, oh, something new. <laughs> so I really started diving into that. 
And uh, so I started designing my own tools. And that's how we started switching from doing reconditioning also into manufacturing. Wow. So we started, I mean, these people were held that were getting into the carbon fiber business to eight to 16 week lead times. Well, if I can figure out how to make some of these tools. And so right then and there, we started making, testing and figuring it out. And then we started manufacturing our own tools. And ever since then, I mean, we sell more carbon fiber cutting tools around the world than anything. Wow. So that, that really kind of started it. And, and I've known he's always said him seeing me reading every minute I had of trade magazines, no one else. He's like, he would always use that as an example. It's like, well, Clint's in there reading. Well, I, don't, well, I don't see anyone else. You know, I'd beg them for their magazines that they had and just pour over it and pour over the stuff coming in. It's all right in front of you. Yeah. And just study it. Yeah. And, and then get feedback from customers and, you know, and you'd find the ones that, that cared. Yeah. And you'd find the ones that, eh, it is what it is. But, yeah. And so just trying to keep evolving that. And that's where we went with it. I, I love that. I mean, there's so many things that we talk about on this show and highlighting there. I mean, how do you teach somebody that innate curiosity that you've just had? I don't know. You know, that's always been a big question of mine. I'm insatiably curious all the time, right? Yes. From these interviews to learning things. I'm the same way. But I I, I look at me growing up, There, there's so many times people would say, no, you can't do, or, you know, in my mind even saying you can't do and this and that. But there were moments, and I'm listening to your story, and it's kind of like that fixing the CNC machine or even, you know, resisting the urge to follow the crowd. I'm going to stay here and do that. You know, that mm-hmm. helped you kind of be a big fish in a small pond a little bit and, and learn a little bit more, right? And it kept you in your lane, right? And if you probably would have gone to the aircraft manufacturer, you probably would have got out of your lane, right? Yes, exactly. And, and you probably wouldn't be doing this, right? Yeah, you'd be limited to what you can learn. It's just yeah. you're going to be able to do this and do it. How how do you, you know, how do you think, you know, what do you think makes you insatiably curious, makes you want to constantly be technically and tactically proficient, makes you constantly want to push yourself out of your comfort zone? How did you evolve into that? That I don't know. I, I, I've heard I've got that from my grandpa. He's, mm-hmm. he would dive into a hobby and then dive into another one. And when he went, he went all out, you know. I don't. I don't have any other family members that are that curious or yeah, mechanically I, inclined. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that either. You know, yeah. I've always because I was like, can it be taught? I don't know. I mean, but it is. It's all like you just said. It's all right there. Yes, it's all right there. It's definitely you, you can just choose to start diving, believing, and I don't know. Is it is it having not a fear of failure, not afraid of making mistakes? I mean, we don't like. I, I mean, I hate making mistakes, but I've learned to embrace them when they happen. Right? Yes, and I've. I don't have a fear of making mistakes because yeah, then I know what doesn't work. Right. And I've, and I'm, I'm one that I'll, I'll show my mistakes out to. We, oh, we hold it. a monthly or a weekly meeting every Monday. When I mess up, I'll, I'll show it in front of the whole company, you know, like, yep. Hey, I, I put this work order in my briefcase. It's been sitting there a week. I'm sorry guys, but now I need to push this through in a day. It's on me. I'll, I'll help out whatever I can, but mm-hmm. you know, I screwed up. Other people, I've seen people totally deject any responsibility to a mistake and that that's where always torn yeah, that's with me key, right when we talk i mean so many things that authenticity that vulnerability that accountability 
right? Yes. Which is so lacking in every aspect of business. That ability like, hey, I screwed up. Here it is. Sorry, guys. I'm in, I'm in here with you. Let's figure – you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Uh, I love that. I mean I, I think I can't uh, overemphasize the importance of that. Everything you said right there, it's, I mean no matter what the business is, from Fortune 100 CEOs miss that mark so many times, yeah. right? <laughs> that's you right. Know? And, oh, that's great. How did, you, how did this lead to you running uh, Superior Tool? So we just kept growing and um, and I think me manufacturing and, you know, this was spoken in meetings that here I am designing tools that are now going to big places and helping people build air parent. Carbon fiber, what was great about that wasn't just aircraft. You know, we, yeah. we were all aircraft nerds and we loved seeing all that, but carbon fiber gave us another avenue of other things. And I mean, we had in the beginning, it would be like skateboards or deep sea diving helmets or racing boats. And um, so that was all different. So we really, really liked hearing all the other things that we were getting into. And so he didn't have, he had a set goal, an age that he wanted to retire by. He went, he says, I'm done. Yep. He, I think it was maybe 57. I, I can't remember the exact year. But, so he goes, I'm done at this age. Um, he had two daughters and he's like, I don't, no one's going to take over the company. So I'd rather sell it to employees. So he picked me and then there was a, an employee on the conventional side. So basically two sides still, mm-hmm. the CNC and the conventional. And so I didn't like that. I didn't think it was going to work out. One, they structured it as a 50-50 deal. Mm, that would be tough. Yeah. And it wasn't 50-50 of the weight being pulled. So Right. Yeah. And, but they, they believed, which they're right, they believed that you're going to have to have both parts. If you just had one person that owned one part of it, you know, then they're going to be relying on somebody else. So I kind of... I kind of like got sidetracked, didn't didn't do it. And I finally asked him one day, hey, are we going to do this or not? He's like, well, you're not happy with the, the partner we chose. And I was like, well, let's go and just see what happens. Let's see how it all shakes out. So we start heading towards that. And what I thought would happen is, happen. Well, well, yeah, when, mm-hmm. when you got to get your cards on the table, yeah, it's, it's going to shake out the way it does. And that person left. So still believing – he he picked another person that worked there, and he he did he did pretty good, but he wasn't like managing or you know type person. Yeah. So I really started pushing him as well. Like, hey, if you're gonna be my partner in this, let's. So and kudos to him, he just rose up, just like you know, started diving into things, and I started pushing him into places he wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, we're getting these new machines. We never had them before you need to design the whole coolant system for it and make it. And he's never had to do anything like that before. So, <laughs> so you're pushing him. Put, yeah, I really pushed him into doing that and learning that machine. It's like, I want you to know how to do it. Uh, I could go learn how to do it. I know I can, but I want you to do it. So he went out and learned how to run that machine. He did the whole coolant setup. I really taught him a big life moment there. Yeah, that right. And so now it was going to be me and him. Well, my wife started working at the company as well because we knew we were on the path of owning it. And she had a bachelor's degree in accounting, so she's obviously going to handle the books. So she came along, and it's still me, and his name is Buddy Harrison. We were the partners that were going to own the company. And at the last year, 
because we, we had a date of October of 2014. That's when we're going to do this. Well, the year before, they decide, the old owners decided, well, your wife's going to be a, an owner too. <laughs> so they, well, what, what it was, it was phantom stock. Yeah, gotcha. Get, so. mm-hmm. And then the phantom stock you would turn in as a part of the ownership mm-hmm. down payment. Right. And uh, so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be in a business with my wife and not just working here. So we go toward that. And then the hard part was trying to convince a bank. You know, uh, here's a guy that's, that's a grinder that thinks he can run this. What does he know? You know? Yeah. And that was a very eye-opening experience. Yeah, I can imagine. I try to convince a bank to, no, nah, look, I, I know I can do this. I know, I know I can run it. And a lot of them just, well, where'd you go to school? Oh, what kind of business degree God. do you have? You know, just no, no, no. And finally one night I got one lady to listen to me. and Banker. Was, yeah, banker. Mm-hmm. And I was just pleading with her, I think all the way up to like 7, 8 o'clock at night. Like, wow. Listen, this is my whole plan. I laid it all out. Yeah. This is a, I know I can do this. We have the three aspects of this business. I know how to do everything on CNC and repair, but he knows how to do everything conventional. My wife knows how to run the front office. If business went bad, it can come down to us three employees still running this company. That's right. You know, the three owners. So I go, it's kind of a fail safe for what we're going to be able to buy it for and all that. So she agreed and finally signed on. Man, good to her. You know, but that's what's so crazy about it. And it highlights so many things that just drive me absolutely up the freaking wall. Yeah. It's this, oh, well, what school did you get? Like, you're going to bring in some knucklehead that has some MBA. Exactly. And you throw him in there. He's not going to know diddly squat about that business. That's right. And the guy that knows everything about it is sitting right in front of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, Clint, and you've highlighted – and I could sit here and talk another hour about all the things extracting, just listening to your story, watching you, looking at your presence and how you are. You've got all the makings of a, of a great leader. You've got leadership characteristics that, you know, I, can t- I can't tell you how many guys I run into that have degrees that couldn't lead themselves out of a wet paper bag. You know, <laughs> I'm serious. You. Yeah, I've, I've seen them. <laughs> I've I'm dead them. serious. And that's what drives me crazy about this kind of, oh, well, here's this guy. Graduate high school. He was a motorhead in the Army National Guard. He probably did the Army National Guard because he needed money for college. Exactly. You know, and like, oh, because he's a, he's a dumb rock and he doesn't know anything else. You know, he didn't go to co- – you know, this whole college thing is a racket. I'm sorry. It is. It's truly a it's racket. It's an absolute racket. Yep. And I can go walk on any of these campuses right now and look at these people with 40 degrees and they don't know anything. Yep. Nothing. Yeah, Even guys with master's degrees, I'm sorry. They just – and it's great. I'm not – you know, if you want to go pursue one, go get one. But sometimes people are pursuing it and they're not thinking about the real-life um, leadership lessons that you exude that, you know, you've got, a, you've got a Ph.D. in life and leadership with the path that you took. I exactly. guarantee it. Yeah. And I could pluck you out right now and I could stick you in a half dozen businesses in this town. And you could eat, you know, you could you could turn it around and start, you know, you could see things because you've got a common sense, that gearhead mentality. And what does a gearhead mentality give you? It gives you that ability to see things that other people can't see, right? Exactly. Yep. It's almost like that. What was that? You know, the mo- I can't remember the movie, but you know, Simple Mind, right? Where the guy can <laughs> see the equations, right? That's yep. what gearheads can do. 
right? Yeah. And and not only that, the courage and the and the willingness and, and the initiative to take the support. I can do this and the confidence, you know. To me, I've always said it's about being composed, it's about being confident, it's about being consistent, it's about being courageous. You exude those in spades, right? Yes, yeah. Your composure, you don't seem like <laughs> a guy that's, random, you know, you're kind of an introverted, quiet, yeah, exactly. you're a calm guy. There's strength in that, right? We're calm unless... Unless it needs to be. Unless it, it needs to be, you, yep. You use it prudently. Yes. And it's even more effective because you are this introvert, and when it does come out, I'm going to listen, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just, I love that story. Say so a lot of people at the shop probably wouldn't say I'm all that calm. But no, I, I am. I'm you're very intense. calm and definitely an introvert. You're, this is, and I say this in every show and, and I should even call the podcast this because every show I mention this every single time and I don't care if people get tired of hearing it, but it, it is the secret sauce to great leadership. It's this combination of an intensity, intensity of will coupled with a humble, teachable spirit. Yes, that's very and good. And you have that. I see the intensity in you, even though I may see this package, and I know the listeners can't see you, but I see it. I see this intensity in you. Mm-hmm. But you're composed. Yeah. Right? Yep. And you got to definitely, you got a humble, teachable spirit, right? Yeah. That definitely. is, an, to me, a nonstop combination. That, that, that's You can change the world with that. And I wish more leaders were like that. And that's the whole mission of this show mm-hmm. and what I try to teach people. Yeah. You have it, man. Yeah. And I hope – I don't know if anybody ever told you that, but I hope you see that in yourself. And in the, and I know that's the reason why you've been successful in what you've done. It is the key reason why you've been successful. Yeah, what do you, what I, do you feel think? Like, I feel like that's the whole reason is really our drive to push and, and do things without all about being on ourselves. You know, like yeah. when we bought the company – we, I said, we're staying hourly. We're clocking in and out every day, and we're not changing our pay. And that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And after a couple of years of that, our employees are like, you know, because we worked alongside with all of these employees. You know, I think at the time we were at 18 when we bought the company. And uh, they said that was a – they loved that moment that they were afraid. Here we're going to have all these big chips on our shoulders. Now we're the owners, and this is how it's going to be. But we just stayed clocking in and working alongside with them. And I felt that was going to be a better transition. That's great. And and it, to me, it kept kept us grounded. You know, now, yeah. Now you have what you've been working towards. That's that's nothing. You know, yeah. this is just the first step. Yeah. Even though it was extremely hard, the whole transition of buying a company from the old owners is not something I highly recommend to people <laughs> right. to go through. I could imagine. There was days where we went home and I was like, I might not have a job tomorrow. Because when you got to go into a room and look at the person you worked alongside with for, you know, what was it, 16 years, it's like, well, I'm not going to hire you, and this is the X amount I'm going to give you, and this is it. Yeah. So what do you think? (laughs) Yeah. That's a hard thing, you know, because they wanted to continue working with us. Yeah. And I didn't see that going to, you know, working. So it was a weird deal, but – um. At the end, after it all, you know, a year later, two years later, the old owner told me, you were 100% right. Yeah. There was no way that was going to work. And yeah. I was like, no. We, you know, they didn't want us to change anything. And they, it was kind of this odd meeting one time when we were sitting down and going over everything. Is please, you know, we would feel offended if you change things. If you have ideas, let's get them out now so it's not changing things. And yeah. That always stuck with me. It's like why wouldn't I buy this thing to 
change it to the way I think it needs to be grown. I've, it's not like I, I see the poor part where you don't want to hold ideas from them. Yeah. You're holding, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not like that. And it's like, no, here is my ideas and you may like them. You may not like them, but you know, what I did one time was when I knew we were actually really going to get to buy this place is I sat in the middle of the shop and I just wrote all the inefficiency things I seen. And then, you know, I pitched them. A lot of them got shot down, but I still have that list. And I made sure I checked everything off of that list. And this is what, you know, I moved, moved things around. And mm-hmm. we were in a, what, a 5,000 square foot shop and working on top of each other. And, but the first day we bought, the day we bought the business, we bought a robot. And that, to me, that was going to be the key thing. You know, our, our business is so driven by labor. But if someone can't come into work, you just lost yeah. a whole shift or mm-hmm. or more. So a robot, they're bolted to the floor. They show up every day, and they don't have a mouth on them. So <laughs> right. they're the best employee, right? <laughs> right. So we figured this is going to be our key. Mm-hmm. Get robots. We don't have to hire a bunch more employees. Um, so we bought our first robot on day one. Eighteen There's 15 employees and three owners. And now we're at 42 employees. <laughs> the robots put out so much more work. We had to keep hiring and keep yeah, hiring. Yeah, amazing. We have more people on the front end writing up the work orders, more people QCing, processing, shipping. They just kept growing and growing. The more robots we added, I mean, you're adding two or three more employees. Yeah, I've seen that too. I think that's a lot of times people think, they, they, oh, it's it's a one-for-one swap, but it's actually they're, – they're missing the the – the exponential factor that can happen with the productivity that produces, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you experienced. Yeah. What a fascinating story, man. What's next for you guys? I mean, where are you guys going? Uh, actually, just next week, we get a brand new machine that uh, does polycrystalline diamond PCD market. So um, only us and Spirit will be the only people that can do that in this whole state, I believe. That's a good position to be in, man. Yeah. So that that's just the next step in uh, – uh, composite mm-hmm. as having PCD tooling. So I'm real excited for this machine, getting it in. It's exciting. And then we added we added two new companies last year. So we took Superior Tool Service that does grinding and manufacturing, and then we added a supply division, and then we added PVD coating. We're the only ones in Kansas that does physical vapor deposition coating. And we're actually starting a, a fourth company, SDS Firearms, and that is to handle we're now doing decorative coating on firearm parts. I've seen that. You know, I've uh, yeah. Did did have you already have you I mean, where did I see that? Did you ha- already publish something about that? Did I see anything about that? Or I haven't that? published anything, but I've been doing work for people in town that do it. I've so must I do have, the coding for I them. must have seen something on Instagram or Facebook or people showing the work that you've done. Probably. I must I had to be you. Yeah, there's a couple there's like three shops in town that we do the PVD coating for yeah, and uh, you know it's I'm a, I'm a firearm guy so yeah. it's just a natural fit for me to do it and I love changing that making the look or just, yeah but it it's so much better for the firearm and man I'm excited for you I'm excited to see where where you take this business over the next ten to fifteen years it's going to be yeah amazing to see what you do just keep doing what you're doing and keep that humble teachable spirit with that intensity and I think you know. I think it's great. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about your business? And uh, we got a website, superiortoolservice.com, and uh, we're over on 722 East Emerly.
Awesome. I'll have a link to that on the post. You guys are reading or listening to this. You can go check out the post at doseofleadership.com and you can link to Clint's business. Clint, so I could talk to you for hours, man. I just, there's so many things I want to explore with you, but <laughs> for the sake of time, we're going on 42 minutes here. Oh, wow. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.